Speaking of school, have any of you ever gone to school? Okay, okay I got it. Just try to see who's awake out there. You know, you've been, how many of you have been to school and have ever taken a test? Okay, there you go. How many of you looked forward to tests? You just they were just kind of the joy of your life. You knew that exam on Friday was coming and your anticipation high level. You were excited to be taking a test, right? No, me neither. Have you ever thought about how many tests you probably took in your years of education? Have you ever kind of pondered on that? I found myself thinking this last week. You know, I started in kindergarten. I don't remember much about kindergarten. Um, I had a fight with my best friend, uh, Doug Smith. We fought over the little red-haired girl on the corner after school. That's my kindergarten memories. But uh, tests started maybe in first grade. Do you do tests in kindergarten, maybe? Yes, they do. I can tell by that answer. So, So, I figured if I started in kindergarten at age 5 and I finished my doctorate at age 29, if my math skills are good, that's 24 years. And I was just thinking, how many exams could I have taken in 24 years? Like a thousand? More? A lot? lot. Who said a lot more? Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of tests. Uh, True-false tests, multiple choice, essay, your favorite essay test. Those are the wonderful ones. Um, And one of the things I discovered through the years is that teachers have different philosophies about testing. This is my analysis, having both been a teacher and a student. But some teachers seem to be involved in kind of this game of trying to trick the students. One of my favorite teachers at Biola, Dr. Mitchell, Anybody go to my own Dr. Mitchell? There we go back there. Dr. M- I love Dr. Mitchell. He was just a wonderful, wonderful man. But his tests drove me crazy. And it only took me one or two tests to figure him out. Once you figured him out, you were good to go. His tests were all based on adverbs. And you say adverbs. So an adverb is a word that modifies a verb. It's a word like mostly, usually, always. And so you would have an exam question. The Apostle Paul always opened his epistles with a greeting. True or false? No, it's not always, it's usually. And all of his tests revolved around words like that. Once you figured that out, you knew what to listen for. I had another teacher, and my analysis is that his ambition was that every single one of his tests would fall on this perfect bell curve. This was his great joy, this bell curve. And so the bell curve meant that there were kind of, some of the students had to fail, right? Because some of the students were going to get A's. And then the others kind of formed this perfect bell curve. And I remember uh, taking a test from uh, Dr. Chase. And I was it Dr. Cook. And uh, Dr. Cook, this was his ambition, this bell curve. And we had this one test. And... It wasn't, I was a Bible major, and all my closest friends were Bible majors, and we all got C's on this test, and we were just totally torqued, because we're comparing notes, how do we all get C's, we're the Bible majors in this class, and so we went in mass to Dr. Cook and said, this test can't be good, it can't, you know, uh, look at what, look at, we're the Bible majors here, and we all got C's, something's wrong. He came back the next class period. Do you remember the old, the old green bar computer paper that all unfolded? And uh, Dr. Cook was a basketball player. I think he was 6'8 or 6'9. And he stood up, lifted his hand up with this green bar paper and let it go. And it all unfolded down to the floor. And he says, this computer printout proves that my exam is valid. 
End of conversation. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus gave examinations to his disciples? He gave tests to his followers. The feeding of the 5,000 was what? A test. Who was being tested? The disciples. What did Jesus tell the disciples? There's 5,000, 20,000 with women and children, maybe, maybe more. And he says, what to the disciples? Feed them. <laughs> that was a test. That was a test. Most of the tests are similar to the one I want to look at this morning. Because several times, Jesus tests his disciples by putting them in a boat and taking them out into the Sea of Galilee. And so if you open up to the last few verses of Mark chapter 4, we find Jesus taking his disciples out on the boat. And these simple words introduce us as he says to his disciples in verse 35, Let us go over to the other side. There's an invitation for you, right? Let's just get in the boat. We're going to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's go. And so they get in the boat, leaving the crowd. They took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I find a lot of humor in this story. But there's a basic truth that I want you to get a hold of this morning. If you haven't captured this thought yet, if you have not embraced this truth, I want you to understand this morning that the storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. Can you say that with me? The storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. And so we learn first here in these verses, the first thing we learn is about storms. Storms are going to happen, right? If you put out the sea and you're out at sea very long, storms are going to happen. Any of you travel cruise people who travel on cruise ships ever been caught up in a storm? Ever get into heavy gales, heavy surf, the boats rocking and rolling, a couple of you have? Um, that's not exactly the same as the Sea of Galilee. It's a lot smaller. But the Sea of Galilee is kind of in a little bowl with the cliffs on two sides. And the, when the wind comes over the top and down those cliffs and across the sea, um, the wind is roaring. And so here's the disciples, and they're in the middle of this storm. Storms happen. Storms are unplanned, unexpected, undesired, right? We don't like storms. Have you ever been caught in any other kind of storm? Maybe not a sea, a literal, physical storm? <coughs> I remember, it's probably been 12 or 15 years ago, my mother and I were traveling up 395, going up toward Reno, and then from Reno 
uh, west over to Susanville to visit family. And so we've gone through Bishop and Lone Pine, Independence. Some of you are picturing that road, right, up in the, in the Sierra. I love the eastern Sierra. It's this gorgeous, gorgeous part of God's creation. But as we were climbing higher and higher in the mountains this day, it started snowing. And then it kept snowing. And it kept snowing more. I, I'm a Southern California boy. I spent nine months, ten days, and twelve hours in Indiana where there is snow, but I didn't have a car. So I've never driven in snow. I have no familiarity with blizzards. None. None. No framework. I've driven in fog. I've driven in rain. No snow. And that blizzard just was a whiteout. I couldn't see a thing. The road disappeared because it was covered in snow. I, 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 I didn't know what to do. Frankly, I was terrified. And I had my mother with me. And so I pulled off the road and said, Mom, we need to pray. I don't know what to do. We can't turn around and go back. We can't stay here. And I can't see the road in front of us. Storms are going to happen. They're going to surprise you. They're going to catch you off guard. That's what happened to me. And so we prayed, and uh, a few minutes later, a big semi-truck comes rolling through. And I know what to do with a semi-truck in the snow, because that's what I do in the fog. You get behind those red lights, and you get back about as far as you can sit and still see red lights, and you just follow that truck. And so the Lord sent me a semi-truck to take me over the top of the Inn and down into Reno. Storms happen. Storms are scary. Storms can be fierce. Storms can be life-threatening. Storms happen. And as I, as I read this story, I'm reminded that storms happen in your life and in my life. Anybody got a storm going on in your life this week? This year? Unexpected, unplanned, undesired. Wish the storm would end, the storm would lift, the sun would come out. I can't be the only one going through a couple of storms this week, this year. I can't be the only one. And so this passage reminds me of the importance of the acceptance of the truth. The storms happen. They're going to come. They're going to happen. One of the couples in the church in uh, Alpha Loma, where I pastored for 15 years, uh, they loved to sail. And uh, the last few years that I was there, they had an annual vacation for two weeks. They would fly down to the British Virgin Isles. They would rent a sailboat, and they'd go sailing out in the Caribbean. And I remember talking to Mike about these trips that they made and pictures. It just sounded glorious until he started talking about the, the storms that they encountered on their vacation trips. And I, I said to my soul, what do you do when you're sailing and you're out to sea and you encounter a storm? What do you do? He said, well, the first thing you do is you drop the jib, which is the front sail, and you put up your storm sail. You have a special sail for the storm. I don't think these guys have a storm sail. He said, the second thing you do is you go down in the bilge and you taste the water to see if it's salty or sewage. Yeah, that's what I thought. But that determines whether, you're, whether your ship is taken on water or not. And then you throw out your... Your sea anchor, and you hang on. So here's these guys, they're out in the storm. By the way, did any of these guys have a frame of reference for storms of sea? Well, we had a couple of, how many fishermen were out of the 12? How many fishermen were there? 
the Jeopardy, Bible Jeopardy question. Who said four? That's the correct answer. So you have you have Andrew and Peter, right? James and John. So they were all fishermen. They they had to have encountered storms before. But this was an unusual storm. Does your Bible use the word fierce storm? Any of your Bible have a different adjective modifying the word storm? Mine says fierce storm. Any other words? Great. Great storm. There you go. Any other? Great storm. Fierce storm. The word in the original language, if I were to pronounce it for you, would be mega. It's a mega storm. What's the word mega suggest to you? Huge. It's huge. Now some of you ladies, you hear that there's a mega sale at Kohl's. How do you respond to that? You go. You go. You know, there's a mega sale at, uh, what's the Cabela's, the outdoor shop. You know, what do the guys do? There you go. It's a mega sale. This was a mega store. And you might encounter in the course of your life a small storm that's not a big deal. At least not compared to a mega storm. You might encounter a storm that's a little bigger than a mild storm. And someday you may even encounter what you perceive to be a mega storm. The storms of life are conquered and overcome by We said it all together a few minutes ago. Let's try it again. Let's study ago. The storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. And so we learn a lot about storms here. And the reality is the storms are going to happen. They're going to come. Kenny Poor is a name that many of you might remember. Kenny was... Uh, Used car salesman, came to faith, and uh, became involved in, in youth evangelism, was the director of Accumulate uh, Christian Camps for a number of years. But I'll never forget one of the themes of his teaching ministry as he taught was the phrase, Father Filtered. Everything that comes into your life, everything that comes into my life, is filtered through the hands of our Heavenly Father. Father filter. One of my friends at the church in Alcaloma, uh, Dr. Coney was a veterinarian and he told me one time, everything is a God thing. You know, every once in a while we refer to things in life, oh, that's a God thing. Some special, almost miraculous event, maybe we'll call that a God thing. And, and Fred would say to me, everything is a God thing. Those are, those are good words. So we learn a lot about storms what do you learn about Jesus in this passage? What do you learn about Jesus? On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned and troubled and disturbed is he by this storm? Zero. <laughs> Zero. This storm doesn't bother Jesus, right? What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. Can you picture this? The wind is roaring. The waves. What's happening to the boat, by the way? It's filling up with water. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep. I just find that incredibly funny. Jesus is never disturbed, never bothered, never troubled by any storm. 
any storm of any size, whether it's just a small little wind blowing or it's a mega, he's not bothered. He's not troubled. As we learned, as Janine read for us in the 91st Psalm, Jesus is always in control. Even in the midst of a storm, where you and I feel like things are totally out of control, Jesus is in control. I wrote in my notes, he's the master of the storms. He, he gets woken up by the disciples, right? He's asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples wake him up. Don't you care? And Jesus does what? Hush. Be still. Hush, be still. There's an interesting phrase that follows uh, Jesus' words, hush, be still. My translation says, it became perfectly calm. Do your translations say that a different way? Where mine says the storm became perfectly calm? Completely. Completely calm, what else? Great calm. Great calm. So, the Holy Spirit, who inspired Scripture, said that this was a mega storm. Now the Holy Spirit chooses that exact same word, mega, and says, after Jesus said, hush be still, it became mega calm. Do you think that's an accident? <laughs> mega calm. So it went from mega storm to mega calm. Why? Jesus. Just one word. Jesus. He's in charge. He's in control. He's the master of the storm. By the way, storms are not caused by Mother Nature. Storms are not caused by fate. Storms are not caused by global warming. Storms are caused by God. Anybody have an insurance policy that uses that phrase? Acts of God. <laughs> the storms of life, whether the literal storm of sea or the storm that's going on in your life and my life this week, comes from God. Now the storm that came for the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee was there for a reason. What was the reason? To reveal to them the progress they were making in their spiritual journey with Jesus. I wonder if that could be true in the storms of life that come my way and your way. If God, God's ambition is that I would have a better understanding of how well I'm progression, progressing in my walk with Jesus. Jesus is in control. He's the master. <laughs> He's the master of the storm. There's a song that was on the radio this week, Friday, I think. And it's called The Master of the Wind. The boat of life sails on a troubled sea. Ever there's a wind in my sail. But I have a friend who watches over me when the breeze turns into a gale. I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the rain. He can calm the storm and make the sun shine again. I know 
the master of the wind. Sometimes I soar like an eagle to the highs. Among the peaks my soul can be found. An unexpected storm may drive me from the highs. It may bring me low, but it will never bring me down. I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the rain. Jesus can calm the storm and make the sun to shine again. I know the master of the wind. (laughs) The scriptures tell us that he is able... He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask and think. He's always able. He is never, ever less than able. Always able. He's the master of the wind. He's the master of the storms. Whether you're in a ship at sea or whether you're sitting in a pew in Norwalk this morning, he's, he's the master of your storm. It's good to learn about storms. It's good to learn about Jesus always. But I want you to notice thirdly, there's there's a lot we learn here about Jesus' followers. Not only these twelve, but you and me as well. There's a lot that we learn about those who follow Jesus. Jesus' level of concern about the storm on a scale of 1 to 10, you just told me, was a zero. On the other hand, the disciples' level of concern in the middle of the storm was... 15. They're disturbed. They're overly concerned. They are traumatized. They are stressed. Now it's worth noting that in the midst of their trauma and stress, what did they do? Turn to Jesus. They turned to Jesus. And when they turned to Jesus, what was their first response? When they turned to Jesus, what did they say to him? Don't you care about us? Now please tell me I'm not the only one who's ever said to Jesus, What's going on? Why this? Why me? Why now? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. What's going on? Tell me I'm not the only one who's ever felt that way. Never said that. So I I so identify with these disciples. Don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? In their mind, that word perishing means what? We're going to die. Don't you care? Yep, I've been there, I've done that. But they discovered, hopefully, I'm not sure they yet discovered it, they discovered what they still had failed to learn. Now I step back from this story, and I look at these verses, and I think to myself, if my analysis is correct, Jesus' ministry lasted about a total of how long? Three years. And it seems to me we're about one and a half years into those three years as we get here to this point in Jesus' life. And so, in one and a half years, 18 months, what have they observed? 
in being with Jesus. Jesus has cast out demons at least three times as I'm thinking about it. He's cast out demons. They saw him do that. He healed a leper. They saw him do that. They watched him heal a man with a a shriveled up arm. They were there when the four guys lowered their friend through the roof to Jesus, their paralyzed friend. And they were there and they watched those guys lower their friend down to Jesus and and Jesus healed them. And that guy got up and walked out with his pallet. They were there. They saw with their own eyes what Jesus could do. Oh, and by the way, when he called the twelve in the passage we looked at several weeks ago, he gave them authority before he sent them out. He gave them authority to preach and to cast out demons. And I just I look at this passage and I go, these guys have been living with Jesus year, year and a half. And they've watched him do all of this. And they've heard him teach in the synagogue, more than one synagogue. They've heard him heard him teach out on the hillsides. They've been with Jesus, listening to him teach, watching him heal, cast out demons, and so on. And the result of this classroom time of watching their teacher, their classroom time of listening to their teacher speak, has resulted in how much faith and trust in Jesus. There's, that's my analysis, Tom. Not much. Not much. And so, so Jesus says to them, How come you have no faith? What's going on? You have no faith. Aren't you glad you and I aren't like that? Yeah. Why are you afraid? You still have... He doesn't say you still have a little faith. You still have only some faith. He says you still have... No faith. You see, the storms of life are overcome and conquered by faith in Jesus. But if you have no faith, what happens? You die. (laughs) You don't trust Jesus. And so I suspect, as this storm was gathering speed, that eight of the disciples, who were not familiar with storms of sea and were not fishermen, probably had all of their trust and faith and confidence in who? The four fishermen. And guess what? The four fishermen were as terrified as they were. That's one of the challenges when the storms of life come your way and you put your trust and faith in others. Ultimately, others are going to disappoint you and let you down. Have you discovered that? You have, Mike. You've discovered that. The storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. 
And so I learned about storms, I learned about Jesus, and I, I learned about these disciples. And, and, and the thing that I find the most humorous in this passage is the next sentence. In verse 41 it says, They became very much afraid. What are they afraid of now? Jesus. <laughs> oh, by the way, we've had a mega storm. Jesus has brought about mega calm. And now the disciples are not just afraid, they are mega afraid. And so the Holy Spirit has dropped into this text that word mega three times. Emphasizing mega storm, mega quiet, and mega fear by the disciples. And ultimately as the story ends, they're no longer afraid of the storm, they're afraid of what? And they, and they ask this most profound question. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? So their level of understanding, after a year and a half with Jesus, as we're measuring their progress, where have they arrived after a year and a half with Jesus? Not very far. Not very far. <laughs> Not very far. So in a time of storm, the number one thing on the hearts and minds of the disciples in the midst of this storm is what? Don't you care for us? The number one thing in the heart and mind of Jesus is what? How's your faith? How come you have no faith. And it seems to me in my own life experience and as I observe the lives of many other followers of Jesus, it's the exact same thing today. The storm hits us and so often our first response is, don't you care about me? I thought you loved me. And Jesus' concern, just as it was 2,000 years ago, his concern is the same today. What is it? How's your faith? How's your trust? What have you placed your confidence in? Where's your faith? Where's your trust? Because the storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. When the storms of life come, and we don't put our faith and our trust in Jesus, the storm is not conquered, not overcome. Storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. And so I ask myself the question, why don't I trust Jesus more? Why don't I trust Jesus better? Why don't I trust Jesus sooner? Why is that? Why is that? And so I have a list that I created for myself to help me trust Him better, trust Him more, trust Him sooner. And so the first thing on my list is Pay attention to what God is doing. 
Pay attention to what he's doing in the scriptures. Pay attention to what he's doing in my life. Be an observer and pay attention to what he's doing in other people's lives. I'm not sure we're good observers. I'm not sure we always get it. We always see what God is doing. God is always present, always active. God is always busy. And maybe we're sometimes too busy to pay attention to see what Jesus is doing. I would like to think that if I'd been one of those 12 dudes, that I would have been watching Jesus for a year and a half, and my faith would have been up here instead of down here. But probably not, right? Probably not. Pay attention. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing. My friend Dr. Fred said, everything is a God thing. Pay attention. Be alert. What's God doing? What's he up to? Pay attention. Second thing I wrote to myself is record what God is doing. A journal, a prayer list. Pay attention and keep track. Why would it be important to write stuff down and keep track? Because we forget. We have short-term memory when it comes to observing what God does and paying attention to what He's up to. <coughs> we forget. We forget what He's up to. Pay attention, record what He's doing, and then review <laughs> your notes of what He has done. Several years ago, my family and I were going through a pretty pretty lean time in life. Not much income. Bills were still the same, but income was down. Um, it, it was a challenge. It was a struggle. It was a storm. And uh, I remember very clearly a point in time when I was very low, very discouraged, very stressed. And Andrea pulled out this list of pages that she had been keeping track of, of how God had been providing for us through the many months. Here was a check that came in the mail. Here was an envelope with cash in it in the mailbox. Here was a box of food on the front porch. And she kept track of things like that for months and months and months. I'd forgotten about all that stuff. I was focused on the storm. I wasn't focused on what God was doing. I was focused on the wind and the waves. She was focused on what God was doing. And that helped me a lot. Wow. God's faithfulness. Always be reminded, He's a faithful, faithful God. Pay attention. Record what He's doing. Review your notes about what He's doing. Prepare for storms. Storms are going to happen, right? Storms are going to come. Storms are going to come. Prepare. When the landlord says, I'm sorry, you need to move out in three days. What do you do? When your stockbroker says, I'm sorry, your stocks went into the tank, they're worthless. What do you do? Your insurance agent says, I'm sorry, but your policy doesn't cover that. (laughs) Ever experienced that one? What do you do? The police officer says, I'm sorry, but your son's been in an accident. You need to come to the hospital. What do you do? The IRS says, I'm sorry, but you owe several thousand dollars in back taxes. What do you do? 
Your doctor says, I'm sorry, you have cancer. There's nothing we can do. What do you do? Your boss says, I'm sorry, but we need to lay you off. Uh, your last day is tomorrow. What do you do? Your daughter says, I'm sorry, uh, but I'm pregnant. What do you do? Your son says, I'm sorry, but I'm gay. What do you do? You see, the storms of life are conquered and overcome only by faith in Jesus. The storms are going to come, and our first automatic response is just like the disciples. Why me? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Jesus always responds to one simple thing. What is it? How's your faith? Where's your faith? Is your faith growing? Is your faith deepening? That's always his concern. <laughs> Prepare for storms. Anybody else besides me ever study the eye chart, the DMV while you're staying in line? You can't see it. <laughs> Prepare for the storm. I'm studying those three charts. A, B, C. I said where? What sign? <laughs> Prepare for the storm. I still remember, I was in seventh grade at Brethren Junior High School. Taking my first semester of classes, I've been in public school through sixth grade, now I'm a brother. And my Bible teacher, Miss Hoskins, gave us our final exam. It was final exam week. So on Wednesday, she handed out to each one of us one page of paper, eight and a half by eleven, with questions on it, study questions. And she told us that Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, whatever it was, exam was on Friday. If you will study these questions, how many questions could be on one eight and a half by eleven piece of paper? A lot. Twenty-five? Twenty-five, thirty, maybe. She said, if you will study these questions, you will be prepared for the exam on Friday. Friday we got to class. She handed out the exact same sheet of paper. Instead of study questions on the top, it said final exam. Handing out the exact same sheet of paper with the exact same questions. I was shocked to discover how many people failed that test. How can you fail the test when you know exactly what the questions are? Didn't study them, Linda. Yeah. Took a school teacher to answer that question. They weren't prepared. How do you prepare? for the storms of life. Well, I suggest to pay attention, keep a record of what God's doing, kind of be encouraged with His faithfulness. But I think preparing for the storms of life happens as you and I interact with the truths in this book. If we're not in touch and familiar with the teachings and the truths of this book, the storms of life are going to catch us off guard. If we don't understand the truths that Janine read for us as we began our service this morning about the shelter of the Almighty, His protection, His care. He's always there. He's always present. That amazing psalm is well worth memorizing, becoming more familiar with, preparing for storms. 
Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates two or three times a year, right? No. In his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Prepare for storms by investing time in this book. Expect storms to come. And expect Jesus to show up. It's one thing to expect the storms to come. It's another thing to expect Jesus to show up. He's going to be there. He's going to come. How do I know that? Because he says he will. He promises to be there. The Apostle Paul experienced storms <laughs> in his life. Thrown in jail frequently. You know, when the Apostle Paul came to town, he didn't uh, go on Yelp and look at the hotels. He went on Yelp and checked out the jails, because that's where he was going to wind up, right? Stoned and left for dead. The Apostle Paul was at shipwrecked at sea. I mean, you just think about his life. Real, for real storms in his life. And I love this. I love this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 9 and 10. This is how the Living Bible says it. We were really crushed and overwhelmed. Ever felt that way? Crushed, overwhelmed. And feared we would never live through it. <laughs> we felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. You ever been there? Identify on that? <laughs> Crushed, overwhelmed, feared, powerless, doomed. <laughs> and then he says this, But that was good! For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us. <laughs> For he can even raise the dead. And he did help us and save us from a terrible death. Yes, and I love this sentence. We expect Him to do it again and again. Expect the storms to come. And expect Jesus to show up. Because the storms of life are what? Conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. Let's try that again all together. The storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. Is that your confidence this morning? Got a storm in your life? Or maybe you can see the storm clouds gathering and you kind of see the storm coming. Apostle Paul says we were overwhelmed, crushed, doomed. But that was good. Because then Jesus could show up. 
Jesus could show up. I don't know if you've got a storm going on in your life. I do. Got a couple of storms going on in my life. That's a good thing, right? Right? <laughs> I'm not so sure. Because <laughs> I'm expecting Jesus to show up. And so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to suggest after that that maybe our elders and wives would join me down here, maybe spread out a little bit. And maybe you've got a storm in life you'd like prayer for. Maybe you've got something going on. Maybe it's not a big storm, but just something you'd like someone to pray with you about. We're going to come down here. They're going to join me. And if you'd like us to pray for you, kind of, like I said, we'll spread out. Uh, come, and we'll pray together. Can we do that? So let the worship team just wait a minute. And uh, we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. Let me pray, and then come ahead and come. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge the reality this morning, along with the disciples, that uh, storms are going to come. And Lord, I'm confident this morning I'm not the only one who has a storm raging in my life. I'm sure others do. So I pray this morning that we might embrace together this simple truth that the storms of life are conquered and overcome by our faith and our trust in you. And I pray this morning that you would strengthen our faith, increase our faith, deepen our faith to trust you more and more. And I pray this morning for... Each one who says in their heart of hearts this morning, you don't know the storm I'm going through. You don't know the storm I'm facing, and I don't. But Lord, I'm grateful that you do. I'm grateful that you know, you understand, and you care. And so we just commit our storms to you this morning in faith believing that you're going to bring us through. And we have that same confidence that the Apostle Paul has, that uh, you're going to show up, and we expect you to do it again. And again, thankful, thankful that you're the faithful master of the winds, master of the storms. And so we give you thanks together in Jesus' name. So before the worship team comes, I'm just going to ask if you'd like prayer this morning, like someone to pray for you. We'd like to do that and just encourage you as you sit in the pew this morning. Maybe you know about the storms in other people's lives. I know about few storms that are represented in this room, just kind of quietly pray for each other, pray for those storms. But if you'd like to come and engage in prayer, we'd love to, to pray for you.
I'm going to invite the worship team to come and as they're coming I want to pray and let these continue to pray Lord we worship you this morning as the master of storms we worship you as the eternal omniscient God that you fully know fully understand the storm in each of our lives you understand the impact that it has the touch that it has in the lives of others around us and so we worship you as that omniscient almighty God for whom nothing is too difficult nothing's too hard nothing's confusing and we're grateful we're grateful for your faithfulness Lord that you always show up you show up in the midst of the storm you're always there we sang earlier that you're the God who comes behind us you're the God that goes before us you're the God who walks beside us and so even this morning might we go from this place confident that you are there you are the, the God of angel armies what do we have to be afraid of we have no need to fear pandemics we have no need to fear delta variants we have no need even to fear the possible consequences of the vaccine that many of us have taken we have no reason to fear because you are the God of angel armies you are the God who loves us, cares for us, provides for us you're the faithful, faithful God we worship you together with thanksgiving let's stand together and worship with our worship team as we give thanks to God
go this morning, I want you to remember the storms of life. You can say it with me. The storms of life are conquered and overcome by faith in Jesus. How's your faith this morning? And what are you going to do this week to deepen that faith and make it stronger as you seek to follow Jesus more closely? He's concerned about my faith. He's concerned about your faith. He wants it to grow and deepen. He wants us to trust Him totally and completely and infinitely, right? He would love it if we could trust Him with mega mega faith. My prayer is that you're going to have a mega week as you trust Jesus. Have a great week. Amen.